COVID-19, I'm really tired of talking about COVID-19, but it is like one of the biggest things to happen to our generation. So we're probably going to mention it like once or twice from here on out. Uh, but it was one of the greatest leadership challenges of, of our generation, really. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to understand because like there's no playbook for how to run a nation or how to run a state or an organization or a business or even our own families at times. There's no playbook on how to do that right. And so while I wasn't always the biggest fan of some of the decisions that were made by some of our officials, I, I tried to cut people some slack and be understanding because like, I can't imagine the immense pressure that people in leadership and in those positions felt all the time. And that coupled with just some of the 2020 election and how all that played out, it kind of convicted me. I, I had developed a critical spirit towards leadership and in general. And so I committed myself this year. I said, you know what? I'm going to be more gracious towards our leaders. I'm going to be less critical. I'm going to make a serious effort. And so January 20th, Joe Biden was uh, inaugurated. He, he became the president of the United States. And I said, okay, starting now, starting now, I'm going to be less critical. And then he, he picked up a pen and started signing some stuff. And so January 21st, I said, now, starting now, I'm going to be less critical. And, and I'll admit, I've not always succeeded at this, but I'm, I am trying. But then I, I read history books and, and I, I read stories from the past about other leaders, people like King Leopold II of Belgium who colonized the Congo in Africa and is almost single-handedly responsible for the deaths of like 10 million people. He's a leader for whom the, the term crimes against humanity was created. I read stories like that and I go, you know what? Maybe it's not so bad. We could do worse, right? Even still, it's, it's difficult at times to be charitable or gracious towards the leaders. It's really easy to become disappointed. And maybe you experienced that in the previous administration. Maybe you experienced that in the present administration. But I think it's something we all can resonate with. But this isn't just a, a political thing either. Just leadership in general is something that easily disappoints us for some reason. You take, take sports, for example. It's March Madness. That means that millions of people will inevitably be disappointed when their team does not win the tournament. I personally was a little disappointed last Sunday after Illinois' terrible showing, but that's another story for another time. There will be coaches that get blamed for these losses. There will be some coaches that lose their jobs because of their performance or lack thereof kind of in the season and kind of in the tournament. Or you take the Chicago Bears. My Facebook feed is still full of people whining and complaining about Andy Dalton and what was the team thinking signing him. It's easy to look at leadership and become disappointed, whether it's a political thing, whether it's a, a team, whether it's a business, an organization, even your church at times, it's easy to look at leadership and be frustrated. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning as we continue this series called Not Even Once. There's this deep yearning inside of all of us to be led well to be led by somebody worth following. And in this series, we've been looking at God's faithfulness, that attribute of who he is. And we've seen that his faithfulness is most clearly demonstrated and most fully put forward in the person of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus's life, we've been reminded that, that we've never been unloved, that we've never been forgotten, that we've never been left to just figure it out all on our own. And today we're gonna to talk about how we've not been ignored that deep desire inside of all of us to follow somebody worth following has been answered. 
We're going to be in a lot of different places this morning in Scripture. We're going to be in the book of Ezekiel a little bit. We're going to be eventually in the book of John, chapter 10. So if you're looking for a place to turn in your Bibles, you may turn to John 10. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, or if you just don't feel like flipping around from Old to New Testament, you can follow along on the screens to the side, or you can download the FCC Mammoth app to your mobile device. Click the Sunday button in the lower right-hand corner, and you'll find a tool called Sermon Notes. It's got our places for notes and fill-in-the-blanks and all of our passages already pulled up, ready for you to engage with. So like we said, it's easy to be disappointed with leadership, and yet we, we yearn for good leadership, somebody worth following. It's almost something that's baked into our DNA, really, and we see that when we survey history, because this yearning is not a new thing. People have always wanted somebody to follow. Now, we don't have time, obviously, to survey all of human history this morning, but we have a pretty good case study in the Old Testament in the history of the Israelites. We can go back to some of their earliest days. We'll go back to the book of Exodus, and we can see that there was a yearning to follow somebody that was met in a guy named Moses. If you're not familiar with the situation there, the Israelites had been slaves in the land of Egypt for about 400 years, and they were crying out for a deliverer and for somebody to save them and lead them. And so God raised up Moses, and he worked miracles through Moses, and through that whole story of the Exodus, he used Moses to lead the people to freedom. It was this great and glorious thing, and everybody celebrated, and everybody praised God, and then like a day or two later, everybody started to complain about stuff. They complained because they didn't have enough water. And so God miraculously supplied water. They complained because they didn't have enough food. And so God miraculously supplied food. Every need that they had, God miraculously met. But the complaining went on. And by the way, they directed all of these complaints towards Moses. As if he were capable of supplying that for hundreds of thousands of people. There maybe was a little too high expectation for this guy. But it wasn't all the people's fault. Moses did have some leadership failures that he had to own. There was a particular moment when Moses, in front of all Israel, forgot to honor the Lord and just took it upon himself as if he could supply the people's needs. And he struck the rock from which the water had miraculously come in the past, but he didn't thank God, he didn't pray to God, he didn't seek the Lord, he didn't praise him in that moment. He just grew frustrated and said, fine, have some water, Bunk, as if he was sufficient. And as the leader, what he demonstrated was kind of a, a lack of faithfulness towards God. He modeled something for the people that he was not supposed to have anything to do with. It was a leadership failing, really. That was his calling, was to model obedience to the Lord, and he failed. So he had his own stuff to own. And there's kind of this theme that starts to develop when we look at Moses. The people have really high expectations of leaders, and the leaders have failings and shortcomings. That continues when we look a little forward into the Israelites' history, a little further into their history, rather. There comes a point where they live under tribal heads for a while. They live under prophets. They live under God-appointed judges. And really, God is the one who just kind of loosely governs the people. But there comes a day where they say, we want a king, just like all the other nations that surround us. We want one single individual leader that we can look to and follow. And God says, guys, it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. That king, he's going to take your money through taxes, and he's going to take your sons for his army. And he's going to take your daughters for his servants. And the people said, no, 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 that's fine. We're okay with that. We just, we want a king to follow like everybody else. So God said, okay, here's a king. And he gave him a man named Saul. 
And Saul took their money for taxes, and he took their sons for his army, and he took his daughters for, for his servants. And, and eventually, this leader that everybody wanted and looked to failed. There was a moment in Saul's leadership where he grew faithless and he drew, grew fearful before a battle. And instead of waiting on the Lord's prophet to, to arrive and to make appropriate sacrifices, Saul just, he did it himself in a rush and in a fear and in a fit. And again, he modeled for the people what faithlessness looks like. He failed in that regard as a leader. So this theme continues. The people have really high expectations of what they think they want, and, and the leader can't meet those expectations. He just falls short and disappoints. This continues on. We get to David. David was a, a king, maybe the greatest king in Israel's history, with also one of the greatest moral and leadership failures in Israel's history. Later kings that come after David, same theme. People will continue to yearn for a leader, and the kings will continue to fail. Nobody ever really scratches that itch. And when they inevitably fail, it leaves the people feeling frustrated and disappointed, at times a little powerless, and even ignored. And that's not something that's just particular to Israel. That's a universal experience. We can look at our own national history, and we see that same sentiment develop. No taxation without representation. Do you remember that from American history class? Do we still have American history class? Is that a thing? Yeah. So, so yeah, no taxation without representation. So the early American colonists, they, they lived in the, the colonies, they paid their taxes, they paid their dues, and yet they had no voice in British Parliament. Nobody there to represent their interests. Nobody really cared what they thought or what they wanted. They felt ignored. And that leadership failure eventually led to frustration and, as we know, revolution. Our national history is one giant ode to this theme of expectation and disappointment in leadership. But we don't even have to look back that far. We can look at our own present day and at the, the long and storied history of broken campaign promises within our nation's leaders. The freshest example, um, and this is not picking on any, I'm not breaking my promise or my oath. This is not critical. This is just a fresh example of what has happened. Uh, there was a, a group of Christian individuals named uh, Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden, uh, a group of Christian leaders. The Biden administration approached them during the campaign and said, will you support the campaign? And they said, as long as there are ongoing conversations about the issue of abortion and we can work towards some common ground solution, yeah, well, you have our endorsement. So the endorsement was given, the election was won, and those conversations whoosh, ceased. And the most recent COVID-19 stimulus bill uh, supplied financial relief for individuals, but also different organizations. Among those, federal funds were used to uh, supply funds and, and continue to allow organizations to provide abortions to operate, so federal funds for that. And so needless to say, the, this group of people, pro-life evangelicals for Biden, felt, and this is their quote, very disappointed in the present circumstances. There was a promise made, a promise broken, and they felt dismayed, they felt ignored. Again, that's not picking on any particular party. We could go back to the last administration and do the same thing. This is just the freshest example of a long and storied history of leaders backing out on their promises, failing to lead in the way that we hoped that they would all lead. This is something we experience, this frustration with leadership, whether it's in a, in a governmental capacity or maybe it's at your job and you look at your boss and you think, why did you make that decision? Don't you know how that impacts your employees? Or maybe you look at your own home growing up, you look at your parents and you look back and you say, man, why did you guys make that decision? Don't you know how that impacted the rest of us? We have these expectations for leaders. 
We want to be led well. There's just something in our DNA that yearns for that, and yet it continually goes unmet. And yet we continue, for some reason, despite the disappointment, to yearn for that. And we ask the question, why is it so hard to find good leaders? Now, this is the point in the sermon that some of you are saying, what does this have to do with Jesus? This is Palm Sunday. Why aren't we in like the gospel or something like that? This has a lot to do with Jesus, particularly on this day. We're going to get there, but I don't want to pass up this opportunity to learn a really significant and eye-opening lesson, both from ancient people and modern alike. Why is it so hard to find good leaders? That question is not actually a fair question to ask. It may seem like it is, because leaders certainly do bear failings. They mess up. You know, they fall short of our ideal expectations. But here's a thought. Why wouldn't they? Because our leaders, for all of their virtue and all of our expectations, are still just human beings. Sinful human beings, like you and me, who suffer the same temptations that you and I suffer, that suffer the same shortcomings and failings that you and I suffer. You see, what I'm getting at is that there is no human being alive that is going to be capable of meeting our great expectations for this ideal leader that is worth following. We want them to. We really, really want them to. In fact, we want somebody to follow so badly, sometimes we'll even make stuff up about them, like George Washington. Remember that story? George Washington chopped down his father's cherry tree. He's confronted by his father. He said, did you chop down my tree? He says, I cannot tell a lie. I chopped down the tree, Father. Fantastic story about the virtues of, of one of our nation's founders that almost certainly never happened. We made it up. We mythologized this person because we want so badly for somebody to meet this ideal craving within all of us. Now, Washington, he, he had some virtues. He's probably one of the more virtuous leaders that we had, but he still had failings. Washington owned slaves. He owned 123 of them. And as his life progressed, his ideas on slavery did change, and he arranged for the freedom of his slaves, but not until after he and his wife had already passed away and enjoyed their services for his life. I'm not trying to cancel George Washington. I'm just trying to point out that even this ideal leader that we all very much want to hold in reverence had failings and shortcomings. There is no human being alive capable of meeting this ideal expectation. In Ezekiel 34, we, we see that this theme continues to play out in Israel. Uh, this is a, a scene where Israel has had failed leader after failed leader again and again and again. It has left them in both political and spiritual bankruptcy. And this is what God says to these leaders in Ezekiel 34, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophet, son of man. That's the prophet Ezekiel. That's what he calls him. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So these shepherds that God is talking to, this is a term used a lot of times for ancient Near Eastern kings, leaders. And he's looking at the history of Israel's monarchy and he's saying, you guys have failed. 
You were supposed to uphold justice with impartiality. You were supposed to take care of the people. You were supposed to walk in faithfulness. You were supposed to make sure that, that, that things were as they should be, but instead you used your power and your privilege to, to really make yourself more comfortable. Sinful people did sinful things. We can relate with this. There was a failure on the part of the leaders to meet this expectation. And nobody was going to be able to meet it. That's why God goes on to say in verse 11, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. So God is essentially saying, I recognize this deep yearning within my people to be led. I recognize that there is no king on earth who's going to be capable of doing that, so I will do it myself. I will come to them. I will lead them. I will shepherd them. I will provide for them good grazing grounds and calm pastures. I will lead them into safety. I will bring them into my flock. There's a lot more he says in, in chapter 34 we don't have really time to get into. But he essentially says this, I will come and be the shepherd they yearn for. God has not ignored that yearning inside of us for somebody worth following. That brings us back to our question, though. why is it so hard to find good leaders? We said that wasn't really a fair question. And it's true on the one hand, we do have sinful people that, that really are in these positions that are never capable of leading. But here's why I say that question's not fair. We know that our leaders are human people. We know that they are prone to sin just like us. And yet, we choose to pin so much of our hope and our trust and our future on them anyway. We turn politicians into messiahs. We have this tendency to turn CEOs and, 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 and coaches into gurus of wisdom and we drip or, or we, we just hang on their every word. And we have this tendency to look at celebrities or athletes or influencers as if they have some insights into solve society's issue. And we hang on these mortal people that are no different than you and I as if they are somehow capable of transcending the human condition. We put our hopes on them. And when you break it down like that, it kind of sounds like we set ourselves up for failure, right? That's exactly what Israel did. We saw that theme develop. On the one hand, yes, their leaders did have failures. But on the other hand, the people continually put all of their hope and their trust in these mortal people. It's kind of like, and this is going to sound like it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it really does, trust me. I was talking to somebody uh, a few months ago. They were talking about their brother. Brother lives in the South. And he said, oh, my brother's in a bad way. You know, he had his ceiling collapse on him. He's got a lot of repair work to do. And I said, well, what happened? He said, it was water damage. I said, oh, did his roof have a leak in it? He said, no, it was a water heater. I, at first, I was like, that, that didn't register with me because my hot water heater is in the basement. I've seen hot water heaters in a crawl space. I've seen hot water heaters in a utility closet. But apparently in the South, it's not uncommon for people to build houses and put the hot water heater in the attic. Now, some of you already know where this is going, but in case you're not aware, hot water heaters, when they fail, and they always fail, oftentimes leak the entire contents of that tank, 30, 40, 60 gallons of water, all over the floor. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Why would you design a house this way? Why would you put a hot water heater in the attic where you know 
gallons and gallons of destructive water are going to pour out and cause a very expensive problem. It makes no sense. But it's about as logical as us looking at fallen man and putting our hopes and putting our dreams and putting our trust so fully into these people that they are going to be able to solve the ills of this world. They're going to fix it. They are going to be somebody worth following. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Whether it's a political candidate, a coach, a business leader, an influencer, whoever. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment. That's why I say it's not a fair question. Why can't we just find a good leader? We have to bear some responsibility for that as well. But even still, we have this yearning inside of us, don't we? We, we can know why we're disappointed. We can even take steps to change that. But we still have this yearning in us to be led by somebody worth following. Here's where all of this has been going this morning, okay? I told you, I promise, we are going to talk about Jesus. He's kind of the whole reason we've had this discussion. God has not ignored our desires for a shepherd worth following. He has not overlooked our yearnings for a leader that leads well. He has answered it in Jesus. That's what today, Palm Sunday, is about. Way back in John chapter 9, there's this miraculous story where Jesus heals a man born blind. He can see. And this is a wonderful thing. But Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath day, which is supposed to be a day when no work is to be done. So rather than celebrating this incredible thing that's happened in the life of this man, the religious leaders have to do an investigation to say, who is this Jesus guy and who does he think he is changing this man's life for the better like this? And so they bring in the man who is healed and they start asking him questions and, and interviewing him, which eventually turns into an interrogation. And by the end of the whole ordeal, they wind up accusing this blind man of some wrongdoing as if he's a terrorist just because his eyes were opened and he can see. It's a terrible example of abusive leadership. So that's what happens. And right on the heels of that, in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to this man who's been healed. And the religious leaders come up and they start having this conversation with Jesus on the heels of this example of terrible leadership. And this is what Jesus says. In John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. That's you and me, by the way. I must bring them also and they too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So in the heels of this display of just terrible leadership, Jesus says to these religious leaders, I am the good shepherd. And those may seem like just simple words or just another enigmatic statement that Jesus says, but they're so full of significance and meaning, which is why we've spent so much of our time setting them up this morning. In the most immediate context, Jesus is just distinguishing himself from these present religious leaders. You guys are fraudsters. You guys abuse the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And good, by the way, that word here can mean true and it can also mean worthy. So I am this good, true, I am this worthy shepherd. That's the immediate context. But these words are also so full of meaning because of what God said way back in Ezekiel 34. You remember what, when we read that, 
It was that, that scene where the, the shepherds of Israel were abusive, where they took care of themselves, where they neglected the sheep. And God says, I myself will be their shepherd. I myself will come to them and lead them to good pastures. Here's what else he says in Ezekiel 34. This is verse 23. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend to them and he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So in this chapter, God out of one corner of his mouth says, I myself will come to them and be their shepherd. And out of the other corner of his mouth, he says, I will send an emissary who will be their shepherd. And both of those things are true in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're familiar, but John's gospel, it, it begins with a very similar phrase. In the beginning was the word of God and the word was with or was God. So same thing. And the word or the word was with God. And the word was God. I got it turned around. I can't break it down. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. So he is and is yet distinct. And in Jesus, we see that he is God come to shepherd his people, and yet he is distinct in some way. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is the son of God. This, this promise, this yearning for leadership where God said, I will send somebody worth following, it was met in Jesus. He came to be the shepherd who leads his people, both those in Israel and the, the sheep that he talks about from other fields, other pens, us, leads us to these good pastures, these fine places to lay down and find rest. He leads us in calm paths and in truthful ways. He is that leader we've been yearning for. And sometimes when we hear that phrase, the good shepherd, we get a certain image in our mind. I Googled that phrase. This is one of the first pictures that come up, colors a little off, but it's this kind of smooth faced Jesus and he's He's got this cheesy smile on his face and he's just, he's just holding this cute little lamb and he's just snuggling it and it's just this real nice picture of a nice, happy Jesus and it's calm and it's, it's meek and it's mild and it's a terrible depiction of what Jesus means when he says, I am the good shepherd. He didn't snuggle the sin out of us and he didn't come to lead us by, by saying really nice things that make us feel good and warm and kind. Here's a much better picture of what Jesus means when he says, I am the good shepherd. This is why he's a worthy leader. He says it himself in the passage, I lay my life down for the sheep. That's not saying that Jesus just like needlessly plunged headlong into danger. What that means is that there was a legitimate threat. There was a wild beast that sought to devour his people. And like a good and worthy shepherd, he stepped in to defend his sheep and he fought and he bled and ultimately he died to rescue his people from danger. Is that not the kind of leader we yearn to follow? He rescues us from sin and death and, and sometimes we sometimes miss the real significance of that because we live on this side of the cross and this side of grace where our sins are forgiven and we have this hope and this promise of eternal life. But I don't know if we would really so easily overlook the significance of the cross if we lived in the days of the Israelites when Jesus was still walking the earth and we had to go to the temple and continually see blood flow in order for our sins to be atoned for by the priest. We would still have this, this sense of foreboding dread about the grave. We would still feel this disconnect at times between us and this God we yearn to know. And yet Jesus rescues us from that. 
and draws us into his own people and says, I will be your shepherd. I am the worthy shepherd. I will lead you. I will guide you. He is who we yearn to follow. We desire for leaders to show justice with impartiality. And in the cross of Jesus, we see that. Every sin, every evil, every wrongdoing was drug out into the light and exposed. Nothing was left unaddressed. No stone was left unturned. Everything wrong that has ever happened to you. And likewise, everything wrong that we have ever done, all of it, drug out before God for, to see. And all of it was answered for. Justice was served on that day and somebody paid for the evil in this world. It just wasn't the people that should have paid for it. He took all of that upon himself. And he took our wrongs and he took all the wrongs that have ever happened to us and he took the sin, and he took the wickedness and he owned it and he suffered it and he died. And in the cross, we don't just see real justice merited out. We see real mercy merited out as well. The way we desire a leader to show us mercy. Pick a character, pick an attribute, pick some desire that, that qualifies this ideal leader. You'll find it in Jesus. He is the good shepherd we've been longing for. God's not ignored this desire within us for somebody worth following. All of those kings from Israel's past were shadows pointing to Jesus. Ezekiel 34, God's promise that I will shepherd the people myself was pointing to Jesus. Today is Palm Sunday. It's a day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem draped from head to toe in messianic imagery. And all of it was designed to point back at him with one message. The king is here. That's what today is about. Our shepherd has come. And Palm Sunday, by the way, is not just a remembrance of something that happened long, long ago. It is a commentary on present day reality. The king is still here. He still sits on a throne. He is still worth following. He still puts to shame every political messiah and social savior that we're tempted to put our trust in. So here's my hope and our message for us today. Follow this king really follow him, not just on what we do on Sunday mornings, but with your life. Put your hope in him. Put your trust in him. Shape who you are around him and his teachings. Shape your identity and your self-understanding around him and his teachings. Shape your worldview around him and his teachings. Shape your understanding of reality around him and his teachings. Because the day is coming when he will not only lead us in this world, but in the world that he is remaking according to his ways. This is a real king who is really worth following. We have not been ignored. It's just up to us whether or not we choose to place all of our hope in him. This week, you're gonna turn on the news and you're gonna see all kinds of different leaders on there. You'll see politicians and senators and congressmen and, and you'll see a president and you'll see press secretaries. You'll see all kinds of leaders and officials and you will probably be disappointed in some way. And you will check your front page of your, your web browser or your newspaper and you'll see a CEO of a company or a coach or an athlete say something and, and you'll be disappointed in some way. You'll look at local leaders. You'll look at your own place of work. You may look at yourself in the mirror as a leader in your family and say, I'm kind of disappointed. We all have failings because we're all mortal people. 
We all suffer sin. But we have set before us a shepherd who was without sin, who took sin upon himself, who rescued us, who is merciful, who is just, who is kind, who is impartial, who is powerful, who is steadfast, who is true, who is worthy, who came and is coming again. And when you suffer those disappointments inevitably this week, I would encourage you to remember these words, to remember Palm Sunday, to remember Easter that is coming, and to remind yourself, I have a king, and I choose to follow him with all that I am. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ. In a, in a world where we can easily become jaded or disappointed or discouraged, I pray for graciousness within us. We have human people who lead, who do the best they can. And that's all they can do. We are all sinful. We're all prone to wander from your ways. But I pray also, Lord, that we would turn our hearts to Christ and that we'd be encouraged that he reigns, that his way and his will will come to pass, that whatever darkness or disappointment or dismay may fill our days today, we know that there's hope because the king reigns and he's coming home or he's coming back. I pray, Father, for all of us in here that we would commit ourselves to him and his ways when we are tempted to place our hope and our trust in mortal people. I pray that we are reminded there will be disappointment, but in King Jesus, there is never disappointment. You've not forgotten us. You've answered our yearnings for a leader worth following, and so, Lord, empower us with the faith to follow not just in, in our religious expression, but in our lives, in our character, in our service, in our love for our, our family, our friends, our coworkers, in the hope that we have whenever disappointment and discouragement and dark days come, Lord, fill us with the faith to follow our King 100%. It's in his name we pray these things, amen.